This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And this is Jesse. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, Scott. How you doing? Well, thank you. <laughs> Did you get your uh, uh, coffee to work? I'm just making it now. Fantastic. <laughs> gonna be, it is going to be fantastic, I'm pretty sure. That's good. That's good. I was, I was concerned about the appliance strike at your house. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they all got together behind my back and decided not to not to work and, and until they got paid. So. Right, right. All right, well, let's talk some new releases here, or sure. some arrivals, that is. Things that have come in. Mm-hmm. Um, from Penguin Audio, I have three Laurel K. Ham- Hamilton, Anita Blake novels. So Laurel K. Ham- Hamilton is, of course, the author. Uh, Anita Blake is a vampire hunter. And uh, on the front of this one is an interesting quote. What, uh, the, what the Da Vinci Code did for the religious thriller, the Anita Blake series has done for the vampire novel. So I'm... I'm trying to wrap my mind around what the hell that means. What the hell does that mean exactly? What did the Da Vinci Code? Uh, it, it made a lot of Catholics mad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm so guessing. Does... I'm guessing what it did is uh, sold a lot. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the only uh, thing that I can think of that that is meant there. That's a from the USA Today. Um, okay. Yeah, so I don't know, I didn't look up which order these go in, but I've got three of them, and they came in in abridged and unabridged versions, so they're both? available both ways, yeah. Wow. So the first one um, I have, and again, I don't know if they're in order, um, is called Bloody Bones, um, and they're all three read by Kimberly Alexis. Um, the second one that came in is called The Killing Dance, and the third one is called Burnt Offerings. Okay, um, we need a reviewer for these. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. So, yep, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast romance, and yep. you actually write stuff uh-huh. um, and you like audiobooks, let us know because uh, Laurel K. Hamilton, not my cup of tea or cup of coffee for that matter. So, um, we need somebody to review these for us. Yes, that would be great. Yep, supernatural romance is kind of a hot genre and we get quite Very a bit hot. of it and we we always note them on this podcast but they're not the the types of books that i i read either well i i, I actually i like the suki stackhouse uh first book you uh-huh. know uh that got turned into that tv show true blood i uh-huh. thought it was pretty yep. good yeah um but i also didn't think gosh i really need to read more of these you know it was like oh, this is interesting oh very well done you know and then like yeah that's enough (laughs) (laughs) well i am a big buffy the vampire slayer fan i absolutely loved that show but it hasn't translated into any kind of reading um you know i I don't read that type of thing very often i I love a good horror novel but the um i don't know the i don't know what came first anita blake or buffy (laughs) to be honest with you um I would say Buffy did, but yeah. I could be wrong about that. Right, right. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, it, if you're interested, get, movie, contact yeah. us. Contact us. Yep. Get on the website, sffaudio.com. Leave a comment on this podcast. Yes, that'd be terrific. All right, Fullcast Audio. 
Love full cast audio. Got a review copy here of Emmy and the Incredible Shrinking Rat. Can one brave girl and one not quite so brave talking rat thwart an evil plot? We'll find out. I think um, I might have heard about this. Yep, it's written by Lynn Jonell, J O N E L L. So I hope I pronounced that right. And uh, really cool cover. Anyway, we'll get that posted this week. Um, Scott, uh, I just did a review of uh, Fullcast Audio's um, Skybreaker. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I saw you gave it a, a Essential. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's got airships? I think you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> if you put airships, I promise to give Essential to your title. <laughs> no. I love um, it. Actually, I think I did a review of uh, uh, one maybe six months ago that had airships, and it was not awesome. It was good, uh-huh. but it was not awesome. Uh, not enough airships, clearly. You need to put airships in every chapter. That's right. And, and pirates helps, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, it was actually a little bit fortuitous because um, the next book is actually coming out very soon, maybe uh, two or three days, I think. Or if not, you know what? I think it's actually special orderable today, or, huh. or uh, pre-orderable today. The, um, the uh, final book in... Or, Third book, anyways. I don't know if it's the final book in the Kenneth Opal uh, Matt Cruz series. Oh, great! Is Star Climber. Uh-huh. And, uh, I think I think that means he's like a rocket uh, uh, rocket pilot or something. I'm not sure. Huh. But uh, I figure I figure he's going to be a, a space traveler, anyways. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Well, good, 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 good. I need it's to your airship. Yeah. So it's not going to be as good, but. <laughs> <laughs> More story. airships. We need more airships. We need we need more airships in real life too. I want to see some blimp on Zeppelin action. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family show, Jesse. Hey. <laughs> All right. Hey, something in from Blackstone that I know okay. you're gonna just be ecstatic about. What's that? Planet of Exile by Ursula K. Le- oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want um, that. Yep, it's four and a half hours on four CDs, unabridged, so it's uh, like a novella, short novel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and Le Guin is one of our best writers ever. She's really um, let me read the description here, because I'm actually not familiar with this one. It's an old one. Yeah, the Earth colony of Landon has been stranded on the planet Whirl for ten orbits, each of which is 60 Earth years long. As Whirl once again enters its 15-year-long winter... The lonely and dwindling human settlement is joined by the nomadic hilfs, an, indi- an indigenous humanoid people who only settle down for the cruel cold spell. The hilfs fear the earthmen, whom they call farborns, regarding them as witches and avoiding interaction with them. Although both populations share a common genetic heritage in the Hainish people, the differences are believed to be significant enough to prevent interbreeding. But hilfs and farborns also share common enemies the hordes of ravaging barbarians called gals, and the eerie, praying snow ghouls. As the winter dangers approach, a visit from the curious young hilf Rollery to the human colony becomes a sign of coming changes. And that's the description. Mm. Yep. Well, I can't, I can't quite wrap my mind around it until I actually sit down and read it. Yep. But So Hainish, um, Hainish means it has something to do with... Uh, yeah, it's her sort of... of yeah, on extended universe things. Yes. So left hand of darkness, those were Hainish, mm-hmm. right? Dispossessed. Yep. Okay. They're all connected really. Okay. All her science fiction books are connected. Um the one that I, I'm most fond of that 
I guess is not the you know the major two that everybody talks about is uh, the word for world is forest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is a um, I actually think you know I haven't seen Avatar, but uh, I think that that's probably a better inspiration for Avatar just based on what I've read about it uh-huh. than anything else anyone else has mentioned. Oh, um, because it's it's about a uh, uh, planet being exploited by Earth. Earthers who are, um, you know, cutting up the land, and uh, the green people, not blue people, uh-huh. the green people of the planet are um, uh, against this, but they are also not um, reacting in the ways that the the humans expect. Hmm. Really good. That's great. Really good uh, title too. Uh-huh. The word for world is forest. I think. Audible has a uh, new version of it. Yeah, yeah, I saw as that. an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a release from Book of the Road a y- years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first um, Le Guin uh, audiobook that I heard was from Fantastic Audio. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Tales of Earthsea, right? Which had um, man, it was great. Um, it, it was a collection of short stories set in the Earthsea universe. And that inspired me to go find um, the Earthsea books, which I love. And uh, the first one of those is read by Harlan Ellison. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah, we have a review of it on the site. Um, Trying to remember what the name of that first one is. Oh, Wizard of Earthsea, of course. (laughs) Yep. Read by uh, Harlan Ellison. Anyway, it's available on Audible as well. Speaking of Audible and uh, airships, it mm-hmm. looks like uh, they just released um, a River World book, book three in the River World series. I, I only read the first River World book, book but um, oh, that's from uh, well, recorded books. Yeah, um, I'm just seeing it here on the Audible's current releases, and it says um, came out this month. Uh, the Dark Design, and it's got an airship on the cover. Ooh, wow, that's exciting. Uh, you know, river boats not so interesting. Unless your name is Mark Twain, I guess. <laughs> but airships, cool. Airships, thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right, well, that's it for the physical stuff that's come in. Okay. Um, what you been listening to? Um, listen to, this week, I listened to a book called Game Change, which is nonfiction. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm only an hour from Everybody's reading it. that book, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I followed this um, presidential election, the 2008 election. Closer than I've followed any other one in my life. So when this how do they? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Continue. I was just going to ask how they handle the quotations. Uh, that's what I've heard so much about it. Is it's got lots of weird kind of quotations. Oh, yeah. There's no. Th- there was an explanation in the beginning of the book, something about italics. I actually just read it verbatim. But then during the audio, there's no. Uh, there's nothing that uh, tells me as a listener that anything special is going on with any quotations. Yeah, so, so the, I guess the idea was that um, when when they're not uh, quoting from sources uh, who they're interviewing, they're quoting from people who heard the story, you know, secondhand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they put it in italics. Mm. Uh, and then re- anything in regular quotations without italics... I think this is how it works. Um, doesn't uh, means that they're actually quoting from somebody, um, but a lot of the the juicy stuff is uh, in italics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I guess the only way to do that in an audiobook would be like to put an echo or something, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, and there's none of that. There's no attempt at all to to make it any different. Mm. Yeah. But they do have an explanation at the beginning of the book that tells you, hey, this is what's going on. But then um, for the rest of the book, it's basically ignored. So um, who won that election, by the way? <laughs> that was President Barack Obama won. Okay. Yeah. At least I'm pretty sure he's going to. I've only got another, <laughs> Not at the end of the week, another right? hour left, and it's getting pretty exciting. It's getting, getting close to the end. Yeah, but it, it's fascinating to, you know, read about it from the inside, and you know, um, but it's very, very well done. The book's very well done. Yeah, it's gonna make Who's it. The reader on that. Um, gosh, I, I, I downloaded it from Audible, so it's out there. Um, it's the same guy who's done some Dean Koontz in the past. Okay. Very, very good reader, but I don't remember his name. Wow. I Is it, uh, I don't know, let me call up Audible. But the I always have that question. Whenever you, whenever you tell me about an audio book, uh-huh. I say, who who narrated that? Yeah, who wrote that? Or, yeah, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> I never know? No, you never know. I never, ever know. Yeah. Well, you don't know now. <clears throat> I don't know this guy because he's got that long last name, and I butcher it every time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on here. It's coming okay. right up. But, oh. yeah, so a little nonfiction. Um, still in the middle of The Engines of God by Jack McDevitt. How's that coming? It, it's coming good, but I haven't listened to it for a week or so. Um, but, yeah, I need to get that finished up. There's a couple of... Um new releases that I, I haven't done a new releases post in a while and I I was um, thinking that, that needed to be re- rectified so uh, I started one and so far I've got uh, a couple of books one <coughs> a brilliance audiobook release um, mm-hmm. came out January 3rd called The Eyes of Darkness and it is by Dean Koontz but it's got a female narrator so I would guess um, it's not the same person mm-hmm. uh, you're talking about I've got, uh, I've it's got called the, the Eyes uh, of Darkness I've got the name now Dennis Boot Sikaris. Oh yeah, I, I remember. I remember yeah, him. You butchered his name earlier. Yeah, he's excellent. <laughs> yeah, he is good. I think you're right. Yep. Um, and here, so Eyes of Darkness by Dean Koontz came out uh, January from Brilliance, mm-hmm. and Heroes of the Valley uh, by Jonathan Stroud, which I think is a fantasy series, but I've not heard of it before. So, well, Jonathan Stroud wrote the. Oh, um, uh, there's a demon. Oh shoot! Can't believe the name. This oh, the Amulet of Samarkand or something like that. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus trilogy. trilogy that's it. Yep. Okay. I read those in print, and they were really good. YA books. They're about. Oh, uh, maybe these are all. Yeah, that yeah. this might be a YA fantasy then. Yeah, it's kind of like a Harry Potter type of situation where there's magic, and this young apprentice magician summons this demon. And the demon is named Bartimaeus. And um, the thing that's so terrific about those books, I mean, the, the, the stories are good, but the the books are written by the demon Bartimaeus. And mm-hmm. he's always putting these footnotes in there. <laughs> and the wow. footnotes are absolutely hilarious all the way through the thing. So I'm, I'm curious how they'd handle that in an audiobook. Well, I, I hope they don't eliminate them. Yeah, I hope they that. don't because they are just hilarious. Absolutely. Mind you, I don't, I, this is not a. Uh, this is not in that series, I don't think. It's called uh-huh. Heroes of the Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Heil Svensson has grown uh, has grown up in House of Svein, hearing the legends of the heroes of all his forefathers. Theirs is a peaceful society where violence out of the past has been outlawed and disputes are settled by the council. But young Haley has never quite seemed fit to fit in with the others. For starters, he is neither handsome nor tall like his siblings. He's stumpy and swarthy, with a quick mind and an aptitude for getting into trouble. Bored with everyday chores and sheep herding, he can't help playing practical jokes on everyone, from Ejof, the old servant, to his brother and sister. But when he plays a trick on Ragnar of the House of Hakon, he goes too far, setting in motion a chain of events that will forever alter his destiny. Because of it, Hali will have to leave home and go on a hero's quest. Along the way, he will encounter highway robbers, terrifying monsters, and a girl who may be as fearless as he is. Hmm. That's cool. I'm looking on Audible right now, and they have another audio called Jonathan Stroud's Heroes of the Valley. Oh, that's uh, it. Thal- Thalia Kids Book Club. It's an hour and 12 minutes long. It says the author of the Bartimaeus trilogy discusses his new novel with Matthew Cody that follows a young shepherd on a hero's quest. Along the way, he encounters a free? robbers. No, it's actually 350. Aww. 341. Or one credit. <laughs> it's from a place called Symphony Space. Okay. One hour, 12 minutes. Symphony Space. That sounds like a third party. Uh... Uh, seller on there, so maybe they just do interviews and stuff. Yeah. So you're reading a Jack McDevitt. Which one? It's called The Engines of God. It's uh, Blackstone Audio, and Mm -hmm. the rest of McDevitt's books are Audible Frontiers. Yeah, just seeing there's one um, from Tantor as well, Time Travelers Never Die. This is one of the ones I was saying, you know, in the upcoming calendar, Uh I was interested in in getting it came out this month um and i've heard i uh, maybe i saw a review of it on sf signal mm-hmm. and it sounded really interesting yeah 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 mcdevitt um, mcdevitt is kind of an old school writer um reminds me a little bit you know i i read 2010 recently for a, with a hard science fiction book group i think i mentioned this last week yeah but the you know he's not in any big hurry when he's writing. He's not trying to uh, you know write these adventure stories that are um, like the other ones that are coming out. Where you know like Battlestar Galactica was just you know it's like I can't believe that that happened. I can't believe that that happened. You know what I mean? Event after event after event, and it's just like turning up the heat the entire time. These are more of a ooh wow. Um, Science fiction that of the Arthur C. Clarke tradition. Mm-hmm. So, I like I like him. I like him very very much. But, yeah. I I I haven't read much. Um, I think just a couple of short things, and mm-hmm. um, I liked it. So I I I want to get into it at some point. Well, good. There's a book I've seen around a lot in the bookstores lately, and I'm not sure what why the sudden appeal. Um, but it's called Flatland, a romance oh, yeah. of many dimensions. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, it's, it's public domain, so okay. everybody's recording versions of it. It's it's a classic of um, weird sort of science. It's actually math fiction, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's written by a mathematician, I believe, and um, the idea is it's uh, a two dimensional world. Uh huh. So. Uh, I think the protagonist is a circle, 
or is it a triangle? <laughs> <laughs> and he has uh, some. I think it must be a triangle because uh, I think the female is probably a circle. Um, and they, you know, he has to negotiate. Uh, uh, it, it's a weird book. Weird book, but very interesting. And it's it's based on the idea of you know what would it be like to live in a two dimensional world, and of course the the new wrinkle is uh, imagine a two dimensional world encountering a three dimensional world. Huh. What would it look like? What would an invasion from a three dimensional world look like on a two dimensional world's view? Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. it's an old book. It's available on LibriVox as well. Oh, is but, it okay? Yeah, you might be able to find a better narrator uh, amongst the many recordings out there. Um, I can't remember who did it on LibriVox, but uh, there could be more than one copy on Audible, and there's certainly, I've seen several of them on the internet uh, from different websites. Well, the, this one that was recently released is narrated <laughs> by James Langton. That's a familiar name. And it's from Tantor. Maybe maybe I'm listening to something with James Langton. Maybe that's what it is. Hmm. If I click on his name here on Audible, let's see what comes up. Um, I read Siddhartha by Herman Hess. I've not read that. Yeah. Some Simon R. Green. Some Sarah Rees Brennan. James Owen, he read the, the Dragon series. The Brotherhood of the Holy Shroud. Some Lloyd Alexander. I remember those as a kid. Hmm. Alexander the Great's Art of Strategy. Timeless leadership lessons from history's greatest empire builder. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Neat. It's funny. Is that from Tantor? <coughs> the Alexander's one? Uh, no, Flatland. Uh, Roman um, yes, it is. Uh -huh. It's from Tantor. Okay. Maybe maybe um, this is uh, one of their ones they re release as an ebook as well as a. Um, I know that they've been doing that. Is they, they release a classic novel or story and then also include a, uh, an ebook with it. Mm -hmm. So did, did you, did you uh, check out Tantor's new website and get your free audiobook? No, I haven't. I didn't do that. Oh, are you crazy? <laughs> free audiobook, dude. Free stuff. Free stuff. Free. Uh, they send it to you in the mail. Actual hard, co uh, hard copy. Wow. CD version. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sent, uh, I did the, you know, filled out the forms and uh, clicked around the website. I found lots of stuff I wanted to get. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and then you get your choice of... Uh, Either The Time Machine, read by Scott Brick, uh -huh. or um, Alice's, Adventures, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, I think it is. Uh -huh. I didn't get that one, but um, uh, the only disappointment I had is it didn't come with an ebook. But that's such, such a not a real disappointment. I just wanted to see what it was like. Like mm -hmm. maybe they had pictures and stuff in the ebook, but yeah. I mean, you can, get the, you can get it online anyways. But um, Scott Brick. Good narrator. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Time Machine. Great book. Cool. Should be doing that, dude. Yeah, if I'm looking at it. I'm lives. looking at it right now. Right now. 
So I click on receive a free audiobook and it says uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland or The Futurist. So maybe they've run out of the time machines. The Futurist? That's what it says. What's The Futurist? Uh, let me find out. I've never heard of this book. The Futurist by James P. Othmer, read by William DeFries. Oh, he's good. Yates is a futurist, which is to say he makes a very good living flying around the world dispensing premonitory wisdom, also known as prepackaged bull, to world governments, corporations. Premonitory is probably like premonition. Yeah, and global leadership conferences. He is an optimist by trade and a cynic by choice. He is a kind of man who can give a lecture on successive days to a leading pesticide manufacturer and the organic farmers of America and receive standing ovations for both. Or at both. But just as the American empire is beginning to fray around the edges, so too is Yates' carefully scripted existence. On the way to the Future World Conference in Johannesburg, he opens a handwritten note from his girlfriend saying she's left him for a sixth grade history teacher. (laughs) <laughs> then he witnesses a soccer riot in which a number of South Africans are killed to the chagrin of South African PR people at Future World. Sparked by a heroic devastation of his mini bar and inspired by the rookie hooker sent to his hotel room courtesy of his hosts, Yates delivers a spectacularly career-ending speech at Future World, <laughs> which leads to a sound beating, a meeting with some quasi-governmental creeps, and a hazy mission to go around the world answering the question, why does everyone hate us? <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> Thus begins an absolutely original novel that is fueled by equal parts subversive satire, genuine physical fear, and heartfelt moral anguish. From the hideously ugly Greenlander nymphomaniacal artist to the gay male model spy to the British corporate magnate with a taste for South Pacific virgin sacrifice rituals... <laughs> The Futurist manages to be wildly entertaining and deadly serious at the same time. This is sounding like a pretty funny book. Yeah. It's a contemporary book, too. Uh Uh-huh. I can't imagine, you know, this is... uh, Oh, okay, I'm looking here. It says it came out in 2006. Oh, cool. So this is not a, uh, like, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Time Machine. They don't have to pay any royalties on those, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Except the... the narrator, you know, you pay the narrator, but um, and the production cost. But this, this is um, this is a pretty amazing book to get a get as a free giveaway. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'll sign up. Yeah, get this one. <laughs> I want to borrow it from you when All we right. finish <laughs> so, with it. Sounds good. Sounds it's a good. Kirkus Starred Review, Publishers Weekly Starred Review. So it's it's it sounds uh, all right, pretty Ready? solid. As soon as we're and done. an audiophile earphones award winner. Wow, oh, good. Yeah, Dufries is a wonderful narrator. Pick? So. Yeah, he is. He, you know what? Um, he's he's not perfect for everything, but mm-hmm. anything funny, he's uh-huh. really good. He he he. I don't think I like. He did a um, he did the sequels to uh, the first uh, Altered Carbon book, you know, by Richard K. Morgan. Oh, uh huh. Yep. I think I, he might not have done both of them, uh, but he did one of them, and that character is has no humor. Right? He's humorless. Um, he's sort of he should be. Probably British because Richard Morgan's British. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's from space, so who knows what his accent should be, right? But, right, right. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, William DeFries, thats the only book that I've ever heard him do that I didn't like, 
and it was it was because it was not funny, right? Mm-hmm. He is uh, he's like Simon Jones. You know, you don't put Simon Jones in um, in an action movie uh, that's straight with no humor. Uh, you could put him in uh, you know sort of a diehard sort of role, but if the guy is humorless, don't put William Dufresne in. If it's a funny book, it's for William Dufresne. Gotcha. Uh, so it, it's kind of funny like that how um, some narrators fit certain certain uh, genres and others don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's like regular actors, right? Sure, yeah. yeah Steve like, Buscemi's good in comedy. Right, 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 right. I was thinking about Bill Murray. Yeah, I can, uh, well, mind you, uh, the, co- the comedians often do those, uh, you know... Uh, Seize the day. What's that movie? Seize the day. Uh, Robin Williams plays a inspiring teacher. Oh yeah, yeah. What's that? Uh, uh, Poet Society. Dead Poet Dead Society. Society. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I guess there there are exceptions there, but yeah, yeah, he's fantastic in that too. He's good everywhere. Robin Bill Murray uh, makes an appearance in um, in Zombieland. Oh yeah, as a zombie. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Speaking of you, movies. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Oh, speaking of movies, uh, I give you some homework. Yes. Did and I did it. Homework? I did the homework. Wow. Oh, the Invention of Lying, uh, so starring uh, uh, Ricky Gervais. He, yeah, uh, I'd like you to send me your 300-word uh, essay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I, I really thought it was terrific. I and thought he, it was He co-wrote it, too, awesome. right? I'm sure he did, because yeah. it's just right up his alley. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but I, I, this is like a, a strange situation where it's a, it's a, I think this is the perfect movie for audiobook fans. Uh-huh. You know, you know why, right? Um, because, because of how the movies were? In yeah. <laughs> so in the movie, in the movie, The Invention of Lying, the, the main character is a movie scriptwriter, but in their world, there, there's no such thing as fiction. So. And there's no such thing as artifice. So if you're going to have a movie, uh, the movie consists of a man sitting in a chair telling you about history because there's no such thing as fiction because fiction is lying and this is a universe in which there's no lying. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> it's, 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 they're kind of making fun of audiobooks in the sense that uh, you know, it, li- just listening to a man telling you uh, something sitting in a chair narrating a story doesn't sound all that, that, that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I agree. You don't need the visual <laughs> element of a guy sitting in a chair and then looking over at, you know, whatever prop he's, he's got to symbolize the era in which he's talking. Right, so it, right. It's the Black Death, right? He looks over at the skull every time. <laughs> There's something, uh, you know, dramatic happening in the story. Right, right. Uh, I, I thought it was an awesome movie. Yeah, it was it was terrific. A lot of things to think about. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was a very philosophical movie. Very philosophical. I, I mean, for a comedy, a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. uh, it it has uh, depths unseen before, I think. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch that with the family? No, just myself. Just yep. you, yourself, and you? Me, myself, and me, yep. Okay. Uh, I so wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with the family watching it. Uh, no, I, I can't yeah. imagine. I uh-huh. can't imagine that you yeah. wouldn't. Um, 
But I, I mean, it, it's also quite touching for what is really it's a very subversive movie. You know, mm-hmm. there's a scene where his mother's dying, and uh, he says uh, he's invented the he's the first person to invent lying, and mm-hmm. he he says to his mother, um, "No, mom, when you die, uh, you aren't gone. You go to heaven, and everything good will happen to you." Right? Uh-huh. He's describing heaven. Um, and she, of course, has never heard of this concept of lying and doesn't understand that there is such a thing. So anything anybody ever says has to be true. And uh, so she believes it, and that gives her some, uh, her makes her dread go away, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, through up, up till then, I mean, all the lies that he was telling, you know, were... Kind of for personal. Well, no, he was. Yeah, they he was, he was, were fairly he, selfish. Yeah, they were fairly selfish. He was doing stuff for other people too. You know, he says, "Well, if I tell like that, there was one guy who wanted to commit suicide, and he was like, uh, you know, don't do that." <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I, I like you. You know, even though he didn't, you know, he was able to yeah. say, you know, hey, you're you're a good guy, and you need to not talk about that anymore. I, um, you know, I, I think there there is something very special about this movie that. I haven't heard anybody talking about it, and I think I think uh, it's it has depths that are greater than you know the majority of movies that you know come and go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just for uh, scenes exactly like that. I mean, it's a very strange concept that uh, lying about being somebody's friend who you actually don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there, you can make a compelling argument for that as being a moral thing to do. And I think that's a very strange idea. Um, it also, it made me think about, about, uh, what about mistakes, right? People, people in this world, um, might be just incorrect. Right. Mm-hmm. And th- I think that that's sort of something that the, the movie glosses over. Or uh, you know what? It doesn't even think. It doesn't even consider that possibility. So uh, when he goes to the bank and he says, uh, "I'd like to withdraw all my money, please," um, and that's the point in which he invents lying. He says mm-hmm. the wrong amount. Um, they just accept his word versus what their their computer says uh-huh. um, without the possibility of uh, imagining that he could be wrong. Right, mm-hmm. they they do know that the computer could be wrong, but they don't imagine that he could be wrong. And I think there's a there's something to that that needs more explore, exploration somewhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I think you know lying is a really interesting philosophical problem, and I think this movie addresses it. In a sure. Very very accessible, and it's it's really funny too. It's not just uh, yeah, it is melodrama. It's it it's funny. really and, funny. You know, it, it was interesting. You know how you know I, I don't the the fact that there was no religion in the whole world, right? Until he lied to his mom and invented one, right? That implies that religion requires lying in order. Yeah, to it exist. does. It and does. Then, at the same time, the character of the the girl in the movie, um, who was played by Jennifer Garner. Mm-hmm. was living her life in a way where it was completely scientific. She really loved the other main character, Ricky Gervais, but she didn't like his genetic material. And therefore, yeah. it was not a logical connection for them to make. And it didn't occur to her to um, go with 
her feelings of love. Do, do you see what I'm saying? I do. So it was interesting I, that they were saying almost two different things with with uh, you know in two different parts of the narrative. I I, I think you know the the only subversion to that I I totally agree with you. Uh, but the only <laughs> subversion to that is that um, I think that that's a po- very poor. Um, you know, it's a it's like say someone has bad genetics because they're they're bald, right? Uh-huh, yeah, uh, yeah. Balding is uh, you know maybe socially unacceptable, um, but it's actually not bad genetics. Mm-hmm. The the concept of bad genetics is actually bad science because there's no such thing. If you're alive, you're successful. That's that's the real measure. If you're mm-hmm. not alive, uh, you didn't compete well enough to exist. But, um, you know, given the fact that he his, he's the first person to invent uh, something that is going to be extremely successful, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He actually does have better genetics than anybody else it, on a very uh, superficial uh, uh, level. And yeah. so I, I think, you know, there, if, if you don't look at it too closely, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty damn good movie. Oh, it's a terrific movie. Very well yeah, done. Yeah, I really, really liked it. I really liked it. And it's I, I I think it's science fiction too, which is kind of a strange because they really don't play it that way, right? Uh-huh. But I think it's a kind of science fiction movie. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, if it wasn't, if it was not a comedy, it certainly would be. Mm-hmm. Everyone would see it clearly as such. I right. Think. That, yeah, I agree. But yeah. yeah, it's sort of below the radar, and I think more people should uh, check it out. It's on DVD now. Yep, sure is. Just came out. You get it through Netflix? No, I actually got it. I rented it on Audible. Oh, sorry, not Audible. I'm sorry. I rented it on iTunes. Ah, yeah, it okay. It cost uh, three dollars and to watch it, and you get it for 24 hours. Hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate because now you can't share it with the family. True. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just like renting it at a, at a at the local store. I had to yeah, but it back. okay, yeah, within 24. <laughs> hours, I suppose that's true. Yeah. For sure, I think it, it works nice. Hey, speaking of online stuff, mm-hmm. have you uh, got wind of what's going on at Amazon this weekend? Mm-mm. Okay, um, interesting stuff. Um, Macmillan uh, Books, you know who owns Tor, mm-hmm. um, went in to negotiate with Amazon, um, and they want they they want more flexibility on the ebook prices. Meaning, you know, if a if a hardcover comes out, they'd like to be able to charge maybe fourteen bucks for the ebook, and then bring the ebook price down with the paperback release. You know, kind of mirroring how the the rest of the industry works. Right. Um, anyway, Macmillan is not budging, and Amazon, uh, in response, took all Macmillan stuff off their website. <laughs> Or not off their website. They're not selling any Macmillan. Oh, it's books. probably just not in the Kindle store then. No, not not even hard copies. What? Yeah, go look. That's ridiculous. <laughs> this is uh, uh, you can look on Scalzi's website, and um, it's all over now. This morning, it's very very recent, and I, I read yeah. about it this morning. But if you go to Amazon, I just went to Amazon and looked up Zoe's Tale, and they're right; it's mm-hmm. not there. It comes up, but you can't buy it from. You can that's, buy it. That's a major threat, but I, I yeah. can't imagine that that that's going to hold up. Uh, you know, uh-huh. I, I somebody's getting getting crap for that. <laughs> well, they should. It, it, it's uh, it's kind of you know Amazon. They're huge, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I understand that, but 
um, I, I'm assuming that they're they're trying to protect the nine dollar and ninety nine cent uh, ebook price, which helps them sell Kindles, right? Because yep. you know, wh- why are you going to buy a, a three hundred dollar uh, ebook reader? You know, if you can't get uh, books at a cheaper price, you know that's the only way you c- it can pay back. You know, there there are other advantages too, but with the release of the Apple tablet, the iPad, um, I think that, you know, and there's also going to be an iBookstore, apparently. Yeah, it's uh, iBooks, yeah. Yeah, so if if that turns out anything like um, iTunes, um, then Amazon has to be feeling pretty threatened by what's going on. But um, anyway, so Definitely. it's an interesting thing, but the, the tough thing is that Amazon, you know, this isn't that long after they deleted books that were in people's Kindles. Remember that? They, yeah. And it was ironic was it was 1984 that they deleted. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, to do something like this, say, okay, we're in a dispute um, for future sales, basically, they cut off a major publisher completely from their site. I mean, that's going to affect them in a lot of ways. For me personally, as a buyer, um, I, I feel that Amazon's just too big now and you know yeah. i'm gonna go out of my way to buy it's antitrust yeah. i mean when you when you get big enough and you you start wielding your power in a way that uh is to manipulate the market uh-huh. then that's an antitrust situation now it makes complete sense for them to just say no sorry you can't have uh your books in our kindle store because we don't want to hold the line on this price just like mm-hmm. am just like um itunes can say all songs are 99 cents mm-hmm. right right that makes right. sense yeah um Yep. From a policy sense, that makes sense, um, but it's also not not a good idea to have uh, you know that intrude into the paper book sales because it has no connection. Uh-huh. Right? right? Ebooks and uh, and paper books are connected in the sense that they have the same content, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not the same uh, scoop. So yeah, this is the uh, Scalzi's point, I guess. Yeah, and it's just Scalzi. Yeah, Scalzi has one and. Dr. O uh, did a post. Uh, SF Signal has got a post. Um, so it happened, I guess, late on Friday night, I guess, is when this happened, if I, if I understand the facts right. But, and I read the, uh, the release from Macmillan, which kind of described what was going on. And um, so I think that I've got the story accurately. Or the story accurate. Um, so, anyway... It does, you know, it affects me in a way where it makes me want not want to shop there anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be... On Amazon? On Amazon, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I've read stories for, gosh, probably the past three years or so in the publishing magazines that are talking about how, you know, Amazon keeps trying to drive the prices down. And, you know, if you're not going to be playing them so that they get to be the lowest price on the block um, that they'll do things like this drop you from their site completely and um, you know we've had discussions before it's it's in everybody's best interest in my opinion Uh, the publishers need to be making money and the authors need to be making money you know this is everybody's livelihood and for bailouts for everyone, bailouts for everyone, right? <laughs> no, see, and I'm I'm the opposite of bailout. I want every everything to 
you know, I need the prices, I need their, their prices need to be set to where everybody gets to make a living, you know, wherever that price is. And for Amazon to just arbitrarily say, this is going to be $9.99, um, that doesn't, and it doesn't work for them, then, you know, maybe they don't get to sell on Amazon. I don't know. Because well, Amazon, Amazon as a retailer, they do have the right to, to decide how they want to run, but... It makes me happy we don't have any uh, affiliate status with Amazon. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> because it, it's uh, I I don't want to get involved in in all the. I mean, it, it is pretty horrible what big evil corporations can do to uh, to regular regular folks and other corporations, and mm-hmm. and it has it it is the tyranny of the bottom line, and the tyranny of the bottom line. You can justify any action. Mm-hmm. that's the, that's the the scary part so um it'll sort itself out because oh, sure. um yeah. uh, people like you uh will vote with their feet mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah vote with their wallets or whatever right um i i one of the reactions i've noticed um i've been uh i started a new audiobook um called uh, the killing floor I, I keep wanting to say the killing floor but it's just killing floor it's um by lee child Mm-hmm. And um, it's a, actually it's an old audiobook, but I wanted to start at the beginning of the series, um, see how I liked it. Uh, and it's a uh, I was reading the reviews of it before I started to read it, and uh, it's got a mixed you know number. But mm-hmm. a lot of the one star reviews are talking about the the Kindle price, right? Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like right. There are, people are voting, uh, you know, for the price, you know, making their voices heard. Um, in the reviews, based on on the the price, how much it costs, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not um, that's not you know that's one of the problems with starred review you know stars and reviews and stuff like that is is people will say you know it's a great book except for all the swearing and so they give it half a half a half the score that they wanted it right, to be. Right, yeah. And it's like really all you're telling me is that you you know I don't have to read your review and I, I think that that's not enough. So mm-hmm. um I like reading the one star reviews just to see what the problem is that yeah. people have. And mm-hmm. often that will tell me um whether I'm gonna like the book uh or not based on who's doing the reviewing and giving it one star review. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know the blog Cynical C Mm-hmm. Yeah, you send me links to that all the time. I know it's a yeah. great, a great, very. I love their attitude. I I don't know who runs that website, but I love the attitude on that guy, that that guy's site. He always uh-huh. he has quotes from some nineteenth century skeptic uh, all the time. Daily dose of Ingersoll. One of it's <laughs> um, some guy who's really mad about something in the nineteenth century. That's and you know writes a little diatribe about it. Uh-huh. Um, but they also have another post that's um, uh, kind of similar, and it's it's called "You Can't Please Everyone," uh-huh. and basically it just finds one-starred reviews from uh, Amazon of famous works that everybody agrees is awesome. So mm-hmm. Fahrenheit four five one one-star review, right? Like, <laughs> right. what's what's the problem? And then you know they find a funny one, and uh-huh. post. I, I think that that's a. Uh, a great use of um, a great use of uh, you know star, starring reviews you know giving them a rating it it is it's shorthand and um, 
it, I find it's really useful to, to read the negative reviews to find out whether I'm going to like it or not. Because when it, they say, you know, too much swearing and graphic sex, I, I don't say, oh, that's terrible. I say, mm-hmm. I say, oh, okay, that's not a reason to discard it, right? Uh-huh. I'm always looking for a reason not to read something. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and if their, their reasons are it's too long, okay, well, then... That might be a reason, right? Mm, but sure. if their reason is uh, too much swearing, not a problem for me. Right, right. Gotcha. Hey, one one link you sent me this week that I absolutely loved was the mm-hmm. Mark Twain letter. Yeah, that was Mark really good, wasn't it? Tw- yeah, it was fantastic. The uh, that was on boing uh, boing. It's on boing boing. You know, a letter from Mark Twain to a snake oil peddler. <laughs> Got that handy? I do. I just pulled it up. Read it. Read it. Um, it says. Uh, Dear Sir, from uh, this is from November 20th, 1905. Your letter is an insoluble puzzle to me. The handwriting is good and exhibits considerable character, and there are even traces of intelligence in what you say. Yet the letter and the accompanying advertisements profess to be the work of the same hand. The person who wrote the advertisements is without doubt the most ignorant person now alive on the planet. Also without doubt, he is an idiot. An idiot of the 33rd degree and a scion of an ancestral procession. Scion. sorry. And a scion of an ancestral procession of idiots stretching back to the missing link. <laughs> it puzzles me to make out how the same hand could have constructed your letter and your advertisements. Puzzles fret me. Puzzles annoy me. Puzzles exasperate me. And always, for a moment, they arouse in me an unkind state of mind toward the person who has puzzled me. A few moments from now, my resentment will have faded and passed, and I shall probably be even be praying for you. But while there is yet time, I hasten to wish you to wish that you may, may take a dose of your own poison by mistake and enter swiftly into the damnation which you and all other patent medicine assassins have so remorselessly earned and do so richly deserve. Adieu, adieu, and adieu, Mark Twain. I, I, it's awesome. I love it. I, it's almost Monty Python esque. It is. <laughs> He's um, you know, the, he feels so modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess it's just he is kind of a very modern guy. Um, in in his time, he was much more modern than his era. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I it's I think I wrote something about Mark Twain. I mean, whenever you're having a bad day, just go read some Mark Twain and <laughs> he'll lift you up because oh, that's cool. he's got the, he's, he's got the exact right attitude. Yeah. Yeah. It's and been so long since I've read Mark Twain and this makes me want to read some. Yeah. He's really fun. Mm-hmm. He's really fun. Yeah. Any good audio that you know of? Oh, probably. I'm sure um, there's plenty, but I was just there curious. Was, there was a recent release on LibriVox, uh, that was pretty funny. Um, I'm, I think that was the one I wrote something about Mark Twain for. Uh, mm-hmm. um, cool, cool. Name's escaping me, but yeah, almost everything uh, he's written is going to be an audiobook now, if not, uh, it is already, if not already, um, if not already, it will be soon. Uh-huh. So gotcha. um, go look at the Amazon one star reviews of <laughs> Mark Twain and find one because right. uh, it's going to be dead on. <laughs> Fantastic. So did you did you watch all that uh, iPad stuff? I did. I watched uh, some of the announcements, uh, and I uh, I thought it was cool. You know, it's a big. I, I don't know that I'd buy one um, simply because I have a MacBook already, 
and I don't see a benefit for me personally. I think um, Luke will buy one. Yeah, I think, I think you know it's it's it actually it's an absolutely perfect travel thing. Yeah, you know, but uh, a laptop to me does everything that I need. You know, so um, but yeah, it looks like a big giant iPhone. I think it's going to be a great ebook reader. It's more of an iTouch than an iPhone. I'm uh-huh. not sure that it even has a phone capability. Yeah, but, I don't. I don't think it does. I think you're right. But uh, it certainly, it you know, it, it's a an ebook reader. I guess is is one of the big things. Has mm-hmm. the ability to surf the internet, which is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, here's what I want it for: comic books. Ah. I want to be able to read yeah. comic books on a on a reader like that. You know, mm-hmm. full color. Um, they said 10-hour battery life. I doubt that very much, just like my iPhone's supposed to have something. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's the only complaint I have about my iPhone is its battery life. In fact, like I said, I've stopped using it as an iPod. Um, oh, really? I have, yeah. Well, I got that iPod for Christmas. Oh, The, the 160-gigabyte black hole iPod. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> the one where I've got everything that I can ever imagine on it, and it's not even, you know, it's like a third... I think I, I think I'm just over thirty. iPhone, I, iPod Classic, I guess. Yeah, right. yeah, I love that thing. So, it's, uh, it it is like a brick in your pocket, though. It's got a hard drive, right? Yeah, it does. Yep. Wow. No, it's fine. Fits in my pocket just fine. Oh, that's. Cool. But yeah, uh, um, yeah, and the battery on it just lasts forever. I mean, I, I go yeah, days, days without charging that thing. That's right. And um, but my iPhone requires, uh, if if I actually use the iPhone. I still need to charge it sometime before nightfall if I want it to last. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's if I good. just use it as a phone, you know, it, it lasts, uh, it'll last a couple days. But yeah. If I start using the screen for anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but, I'm you know, always got, worried about running out of power myself. Yeah, so I don't have the uh, newer version, which I think is, uh, is better. Probably. 3G, I don't think I have an iPhone 3G. I have the earlier one. Have you uh, been reading um, Frederick Pohl's blog? No, I haven't. He's uh, he's always writing about um, back in the good old days. Mm-hmm. And he writes so well that, uh, you know, back in the good old days actually sounds pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, he's writing about Isaac Asimov right now and uh-huh. uh, uh, talking about how <laughs> Isaac Asimov made a deal with his dad on He convinced him. That it was okay to read the science fiction pulps, uh-huh. um, because they had the word science in the title, and that that would help him in his studies to become a doctor, uh-huh. <laughs> which I guess he eventually did, right? right Although right. not the right kind of doctor for his dad, but um, it's uh, it's pretty interesting talking about uh, the early days of uh, of science fiction writers. Yeah, yeah he's I got some. Read, he's got a book called The Way the Future Was. Yeah, and that's I, the name. His really blog like name is similar. Uh-huh. The Way yeah. the Future Blogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need to find a copy of that. Oh, it's, it looks like it's old, so it's probably out of print. But um, you know what? That would make a great audiobook. Oh, yeah, it would. I'd get him to narrate it, too, if he's a... Uh, I, mean, I can't remember hearing him narrate anything, mm-hmm. read anything. But um, he's still alive, so do it before he, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of the non-fiction biographical stuff would make great audio. Absolutely. 
<laughs> it's funny. I'm looking at uh, Paul's thing, mingling with people I wouldn't invite for dinner, and there's a yeah. picture of Rush Limbaugh right there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, he, he was talking. He wrote about uh, a trip to uh, South Korea to uh, go to some conference with the uh, the Moonies, uh-huh. uh, who I'm only vaguely familiar with based on his uh, his um, post, but. Uh, basically, I guess he's been getting emailed people saying, you know, uh, why are you hanging out with the Moonies? Well, he mm-hmm. explained very clearly why he was hanging out with the Moonies. It's because he's getting a free trip. Uh, it's the same reason he hangs out with a Scientologist, because um, they they do the uh, Writers of the Future, you know? Right, right. And it's, um, it's kind of refreshing. <laughs> I once uh, went to a... Um, symposium that Jerry Pornell was at at mm-hmm. BYU, which is the uh, Mormon University, mm-hmm. and he was at a presentation uh, about the Writers of the Future contest, which he was involved with. So there was Scientologists and Mormons and <laughs> Jerry Pornell in the same room, and it was very interesting. <laughs> He's an acerbic guy. It's it's fun. You know, so people getting angry at each other. No, 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 no. I'm just saying that uh, his comments were interesting. You know, he started to talk about Scientologists and how he hadn't he hadn't <laughs> met one that wasn't very nice. <laughs> and then he stops and he says something like, uh, well, "You Mormons are the same way. They're also very nice." <laughs> so funny. I go to that every year, and it's uh, February 13th, by the way. I expect to oh, be there coming up. on Saturday, February 13th. Oh, well. Um, it's called on. Life, the Universe, and Everything. And the guest of honor is Brandon Sanderson. He's um, he's local there, so... Uh, yeah, he sure is. He's, you get a lot of him there. Yeah, uh-huh. Sure do. He's getting popular, though. He really is. Yeah, yeah. He is, you know, New York Times bestseller, popular, and uh, yeah, he'll hope be. Hope he's not a Macmillan book, otherwise he's. In he actually is less popular all of a sudden. He is, yeah, poor guy. He is. In fact, that's where I first heard about it. Was I looked at my Twitter page, and he's on my Twitter list, and he just mentioned something about it and had a link to. Um, he said he he mentioned on Twitter that he had spoken to Cory Doctorow about it. Um, so anyway, so that made me kind of look into it some more. <clears throat> but so the, the symposium, you... just uh, yeah, on that, um, the life, the universe, <clears throat> and everything is like uh, it's at ltue dot org. For anybody who's in that area, um, urge you to check it out. It's free. It's on the BYU campus at their at their student center, and it's like a convention with just panels. Um, Pretty much, that's what it is. It's a they call it just a symposium, but it's very enjoyable every time I've been there. And I'm not Mormon, so um, don't let that stop you from checking it out. It's really neat. Well, well worth the time. <laughs> it's so good you don't even have to be Mormon to enjoy. It. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I know I know a lot of people that uh, wouldn't go to BYU because they're not Mormon and. Uh, Feel that you know, hey, that's Mormon stuff. I don't really want anything to do with it. But uh, my point is, it's just it's not like a Mormon symposium. 
if that bothers I think, you. I think you can... Not it, that there's anything wrong with that, right? <laughs> I think you should be able to separate the the facility from the uh, the history or yeah. the, uh, you know... Well, there's there's a lot of... That's, L- that's LDS. basically what uh, Paul is saying, is, uh-huh. you know, just because I take a ticket from the Moonies doesn't mean I am a Moonie. Right, right. Yeah, and there's a lot of LDS science fiction writers. I mean, the number of writers that are down there in the Salt Lake City area, there's tons of them. It's unbelievable how many there are. They have all this time because they don't have to spend all that time making coffee. <laughs> that's right. That's I know right. I'd be a, you know, well, very famous novelist if I didn't have to make so much coffee. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, so uh, I guess the the post that's generated the most interest on the website of late was mm-hmm. the uh, the Margaret Atwood uh, oh. just denied her. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that. I was very surprised. Um, first of all, I thought it was really cool that the that they've got a, kind of a podcast radio station for those kids. Out of that's, high school, yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, and I'm working on um, just getting the stuff ordered. I'll have it all ordered tomorrow um, to do a podcast um, with some kids here in town at the library, in the library group that I do. So, no idea yet how often it'll be or what the format's going to be. We're going to work all that out as, you know, part of what I teach them is how, you know, how to put it all together. Um, but anyway, bravo to those folks up there. Mm-hmm. And then the interviewer, I was really struck by how good she was. I thought she, she was, was pretty good. I thought she was excellent. Um, you know, she didn't just stop. She, she asked some really, really good questions. Yeah, really good questions. Yeah, she'd read the book too, which mm-hmm. which is really helpful. Oh, yeah. I I kind of got distracted. I mean, it is really about the book, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the flood, which my mother actually did the review of it uh, yeah, yeah. of the audiobook for us. Right. Um, it's a kind of a mixed review, but um, uh, I guess still positive. Um, right, right. And uh, I I think somebody mentioned, you know, um, you know, saying I I never liked her stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, a Handmaid's Tale was irredeem- irredeemably silly because I hadn't read the book. So many people speak of it respectfully. Uh, this is Fred, Fred, Fred from the Fredosphere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's um, she's a bizarro nut job. I mean, <laughs> uh, I agree that she is a bizarro nut job, but I think she's still a good writer. Um, a good writer who is a history denier, which is bad, uh-huh. but it's the same. You know. I, I don't agree with Orson Scott Card's, Card's polis, politics, but uh, I think he writes pretty good books. Uh-huh. Um, you can you can uh, like the book and hate the author, <laughs> <laughs> right? For, for sure, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. If I if I made, if it, I made a list of authors really, whose really views mad. that I don't agree I wanted, with, I actually, I mean, it's it's kind of sick to say, but. Uh, she's inspiring violence against women because I, I wanted to go over there and slap her because, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's, you don't, and, you know, it wasn't, it sounded to me like somebody had called her on this in the past because mm-hmm. the way she's talking as if, you know, uh, you know, that it, it oh, we should I'm probably mention really what mad. this is. We're, we're kind of yeah. skirting the issue, but the, the issue is, is she doesn't believe that we went to the moon. Um, right. Yeah, she has problems with that, and some of the things she cited was, uh, the first thing she talked about was computers, and how could we possibly have gone to the moon without 
a computer and computers at that time just watched 2001 and you can see how big the computers are um, type of stuff. Um, just, you know, extremely illogical and uninformed. Yeah, and, um, you know, and yet she's a supporter of, uh, you know, um, uh, preventing climate change, I guess. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is, you know, she's willing to accept some science, but, uh, you know, not having the, the, the skepticism, the, the right skepticism can actually really hurt your understanding of how the world works. I mean, if you just look at the number of launches, just the number of launches into outer space of rockets, with people witnessing it on the ground, seeing this rocket going up into the sky, mm-hmm. at some point you have to say, well, they certainly are going up into space, right? Uh-huh. Rockets at least, even if you don't see people getting mm-hmm. on them. I mean, it's not a hologram, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. There's an actual object shooting up from the Earth going into the sky. Uh-huh. That is a fact that many <laughs> thousands of people standing around Cape Canaveral have witnessed many, many times. Right, right. If you just accept that fact, you should concomitantly accept the fact that, yes, we went to the moon, uh, Apollo 11, Apollo 12, Apollo 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16, 17. That was it. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> you're right, you're right over there? so mad. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, you know, and... Uh, Having read 2010, you know, and I know we talked about this, but it's extremely frustrating to me how, you know, she she mentioned how, well, why haven't we gone back? You know, that's a very important question. Why haven't we gone it's back? Well, it's, it's politics. It's uh, politicians uh, deciding that the money's better spent elsewhere, and there's no other, there's no other answer required. No. Um, Richard Nixon... You know, I, I had to do a report on this, or I did a report on this in college, and he made the decision to um, what the next phase of the space program would be. And because he was concerned almost 100% with uh, people's perception of him, um, he didn't want to do anything that he felt uh, was going to be controversial. Because other things were controversial. (laughs) So he said, let's go with this uh, shuttle thing that you're talking about and no space station. You know, and there was a number of options that they were talking about. So he did the the least possible thing he could do while keeping the program alive is what he did. And that's basically what we've had since then. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I just kept doing it. And I was very disappointed. I read... Uh, that it looks like um, the Obama administration is looking to cut NASA's funding except for in the environmental areas. So, um, you know what, that's that's not exactly what I read. Let me make sure I got the facts right. What they want to do is cut the Constellation and Ares rocket program, which is the phase that... Uh, it's more capsules. You know, we're going back to the capsules now that the shuttle's done. The shuttle's got, I think, one more launch. One or two more launches. Anyway, they, they're going back to this capsule called the Constellation. And um, going back to the moon and stuff is the plan. Um, anyway, that's what they want to cut. And they want to do more robotics. And um, they said that the main focus of NASA in the article that I read was going to be uh, environmental monitoring. So, wow. yeah, 
<laughs> but there's a long process to the budget, so it was like a eighteen billion dollar budget is what NASA has, or so, something like that. It's not money well spent. It is money well spent. Not only that, not only the jobs involved, um, but the uh, payback is there. You know, it's it, it, that's the thing is is if you if you rely on corporations to determine what the budget where the money will be spent they never spend it on research you know primary research they always spend it on what will be profitable in six months nine months time right Mm -hmm. what will be profitable just down the road what can we you know spend money on now that will be profitable in you know by the next uh quarter right right and the problem with that is if you say we have a plan and we're going to start researching this and we're going to have this uh, this new concept fully worked out by you know uh, three months from now, you're never going to get it actually done because that's not how science works. So science is a process of discovery, you know, uh, working out stuff, and you can't know where you're going to get or what you're going to get out of it. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. What you will know is that people, curious people who are intelligent. And who who have the equipment uh, and have the time will find interesting things that will eventually be valuable because no information is useless. Mm-hmm. No information is useless. And when you're doing you know primary research, it's gonna. I mean, just you, you go through the list of all the things that the NASA actually invented for their own use. Mm-hmm. That is it is now used by industry. It's a massive list, yeah, and it's yeah. huge. I mean, if if they were, um, you know, counting the dollars involved, I I would expect that it, it has paid for itself. I, I have not done that. I'd love to see that done, mm-hmm. but the the list is massive. Um, Teflon is obviously the one everybody talks about, but mm-hmm. um, that's that's just a very small. You know, example of something that we use every day that is actually uh, a result of of such. Okay, I'm getting I'm getting a little bit ranty. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, yeah, 100%. You, you posted about uh, uh, Will Wheaton's audiobook. Oh yeah, yeah. What's mm-hmm. the story on that? Um, he just posted it on um, Lulu. Um, is it downloadable? Yeah, Lulu is a downloadable audio. And Lulu okay. is a self-publishing book site. So you can put your book out there, and um, when somebody orders it, they print on demand. So, so, so they... he's had uh, really good success with it, so he decided to uh, make his audiobooks available on the same site. And that oh, was, yeah. those were the first audiobooks I'd seen on there, so um, that's why I mentioned it. Is it MP3 format? or Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Sure is. I'm, wa- I'm wondering why he went with Lulu, just because I mean, they're a printing company, right? They print yeah. physical books. <clears throat> yeah, maybe they're just kind of looking to expand in that direction. It's he in his post, he just said uh, it was uh, he was having really good success with Lulu, so wow, just uh, put him out there. Yep. Okay. I would imagine you know if he were to try to put them on iTunes or something, and I'm, I I don't even know that they're not there. I haven't looked. But if he were to do that, I imagine that the cut is not very pleasing. No, Lulu, Lulu will give you the best cut, probably. Right. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be on a major distribution, mm-hmm. um, I would guess, especially with uh, downloads. I mean, there's no, 
there's no uh, product, you know. Right, right. There's there's no object that mm-hmm. you need to move around and ship. Right. Infinitely reproducible. Yeah, and those are neat uh, audiobooks too. Well, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard, heard that one. I, yeah, I haven't heard the, the Happiest Days of Our Lives. I haven't heard that, but I reviewed his other one. Yeah. Just a Geek. And it Just was a Geek. Terrific. And he's been doing a podcast um, called Memories of the Future, or Memories of the Future Cast. Uh-huh. Is that it? And I listened to one of those, and they're um, they're really cool. They're like uh, reminiscings of you know his Star Trek days and stuff, and he's he's publishing books about it. I think Julie was talking about that on her uh, Forgotten Classics podcast. Uh huh. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to institute this new um, this new uh, feature. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about this. So let me see what I can come up with. (laughs) Okay. Now, what was the feature called again? It's uh, pick of the week. Pick of the week. Stolen from anything. Stolen from. Uh, uh, Tony's now now gone uh, Sofanauts podcast, uh-huh, uh-huh. but it's a good idea. Uh, it's just a way to say, "Hey, <laughs> get this." Well, I've got one. What's what do you got? A book that I received. Uh, it was either this week or last week. Um, Scenting the dark and other stories by Mary Robinette Cole. Oh, Campbell Award winner. It's from Subterranean Press. Really gorgeous little book um, collection. It, it's not a comprehensive collection of everything she's published, but I am really looking forward to reading it. I've read several of the stories already, but autographed edition. Wow. Yep. I was in, um, you know, uh, can I start name dropping now? Sure. Is that offensive? <laughs> no. Oh, I was, Not unless uh, I get too jealous. I went to uh, Orson Scott Card's literary boot camp back in uh, 2005, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it was 2005. And anyway, she was a classmate of mine in there. So, of course, I take full credit for her success. <laughs> You've guided her career. and Yeah, I've guided you. <laughs> anyway, but uh, this is a gorgeous book. I mean, it, I'm thrilled for her. It's really I'm just neat. looking on our website trying to find uh, find it there. It's on, um, you know, Subterranean Press is the one who published it. And she's got a novel that's coming out soon, too. Um, it sounds kind of uh, Jane Austen-like. Um, it's, it's a fantasy, but a Jane Austen type of fantasy. It's got a cool cover. Yeah, it's really, really nice. I yeah, love Subterranean the, does a really good job I love this. Uh, I'd, I'd buy every one of those if I could afford it. Um, yeah. Oh, I it's a limited edition and... Uh, signed and numbered? Wow. Signed and numbered. I ordered it the day that I knew it was coming available. It was months ago that I ordered one. I've I've got a few subterranean press books. Um, mm-hmm. Not I haven't got any for like maybe a year or so. But uh, they did a bunch of Lawrence Block. Um, really? Out of print stuff. Yeah. I did not know that Lawrence uh, Block. It's, prob- it's probably all. Um, it's probably uh, they've got an out of print section there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just looking under B for Block. Uh, nope, nothing in stock. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, uh, they do, they do basically just good writers, I think. And a lot of them, oh yeah, so they they did Ronald Rabbit is a Dirty Old Man, which, uh, I, I've read, uh, I've, I must have it here somewhere. Um, it's a, it says, in the late 60s, I wanted to write some frankly erotic books that would be fun to write and might even be interesting to the reader with a three-figure IQ. 
My agent found an enthusiastic publisher, and I did three books in all. Published under a female pen name, one I used earlier on a pair of lesbian novels. Ronald Rabbit was intended, initially intended to be a pseudonymous paperback original. I wanted to write an epistolary novel. That's a novel. Oh, and he mm-hmm. explains it. But not the traditional series of narrative letters from a single character in the manner of Richardson's Pam- Pamela. Instead, I was inspired by Mark Harris's brilliant comic Souffle. Wake up, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and my good friend Hal Dresner's hilarious The Man Who Wrote Dirty Books. <laughs> Each tells its story through the medium of collected correspondence of the protagonist, letters written to him uh, as well as letters written by him. And that's what I wanted to do with Ronald Rabbit. I wrote Ronald Rabbit in four days. One letter kept leading to another. I was completely caught up in the realization of the havoc that could be wreaked by a single manipulative ma- maniac with a typewriter. <laughs> and uh, that, that, I think that was my best find there. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, he uh, he also did. Uh, I also have Cinderella Sims, which is a um, has been subsequently. I think its uh, original title was Twenty Dollar Lust. Mm-hmm. It was Twenty Dollar Lust, <laughs> um, which is like a. I I, I can't remember. Re- I can't remember if I read this book or not. It's it's not. Um, uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure if I read it or not. Uh, it doesn't sound super familiar. I'm just looking at it. But um, it may have been reprinted as one of the um, uh, hard case crimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I may have subsequently reviewed it as the audio. Oh, cool. So that's stuff. Sounds good. So that that's your pick of the week? No, no, no. Okay, so I'm still that, those are out of print. anxiously awaiting it. Those are, uh, those are completely out of print. Uh-huh. Um, Da Vinci's Inquest. Ah, that's that's TV what show. I've I've been watching lots of that. Um, mm-hmm. Just finished the third season. Um, yeah, it's a TV show. I I think I promised to send them to you at some point, mm-hmm. and so I haven't done that. Um, it's a Canadian TV show set in Vancouver mm-hmm. um, that has real locations, um, and it's inspired by uh, a real person. Um, it's a police procedural show, in, except for the sense that the main character is actually the coroner, not, not a policeman. Mm-hmm. Um, so his job is to look into deaths and to try and figure out uh, what recommendations to make based on public safety mm-hmm. um, on that. So it, it is really a police procedural show uh, with this added extra idea in it. It's by the guy who created the show Intelligence, um, which was probably the best show in the last five years, I would I would think. But it's an older show. It came out in the 90s, mm-hmm. and I think it ran for six or seven seasons. Um, I didn't actually watch it when it was on television that much, uh, but it really works well on DVD. And um, what I like so much about it is it's a mystery show. People die, are murdered, or... Um, bad things happen, but it's indeterminate in many cases, right? Who, at the end of the show, you don't know if, if we're going to find out who murdered somebody, uh, or if they did murder them, if, 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 uh, they actually, you know, are a hundred percent knowledgeable of that fact, because it's, it's based on reality and it, the pattern where everything has to be wrapped up at the end. So I, I, you know, I like, um, uh, 
shows like um, uh, not I was going to say House, but it's the one with uh, the guy from uh, Firefly. Oh, when Castle. You, Castle. Castle. Yeah. I, I really like that show. It's, it's I love very that fun. Show, yeah. But it's not. It's it's sort of the genre of television that you know it's been done a thousand times before. What mm-hmm. makes that show work is uh, the acting, uh, the you know the the character, uh-huh. um, you know the personality mm-hmm. of um, of the actors. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes that show work. It's not the the mysteries are great. This mm-hmm. show is a, it's really about the character of the city and about reality, having mm-hmm. real conversations about uh, issues and not having sort of preaching from the hill or as, uh, you know, how CSI works is six people all standing around who all know the exact same information and have the exact same level of education and the exact same viewpoint all discussing the matter at hand, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they're all sitting around the dead body in the in the morgue and one person says... I've extracted blah, blah, blah. And the other person says, and of course, you know, so there's no questions and answers. Uh, the questions are sort of pro forma in, in the sense that it, they have to be done to let the audience know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But there's no actual real dialogue. And that's what this show has a lot of. So they actually talk about what are the consequences of having a needle exchange program in your, in your uh, low-rent community. Let's think about it. what would what it be like if you have uh, cameras um, in that in a neighborhood where there's lots of crime. What will actually happen? In in a sense, it's like um, the wire, uh, but instead of being set in Baltimore, it's it's Vancouver. Hmm. So yeah. highly recommend people check this out. It, it's been airing on uh, in the states on not Super Channel, but uh, uh, one of those Superstation, I think. Mm-hmm. TGN or one one of those uh, big, uh, I think it, it's been airing back to back with Homicide, uh-huh. uh, which is a, a very similar show in the sense that it's not formulaic in the in the, it's not like every other police procedural out there. Cool. So uh, those are all available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, yeah. yeah. Da Vinci's Inquest season one is on Netflix. Is it on iTunes? That's on iTunes. Know. That I don't know. It's on iTunes. Cool. Netflix definitely worth getting. You bet. Uh, you bet. Uh, also, you know, another thing I like about it, mm-hmm. it's got swearing. It's got swearing. It's got swearing. Well, I can't possibly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't and stomach I, that, I sir. Say, I say that as a Stephen King reader. Is uh, Stephen King got a lot of swearing? I can't oh remember. yeah! Oh tons! Yeah. You bet. Well, great. Yeah, it looks like they've got three seasons of it. Yeah, three seasons out so far. Hopefully there's right. going to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, intelligence is, um, uh, it's all from Acorn, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, mostly they do British shows. Uh-huh. It looks like Da Vinci's Inquest is not on iTunes, but um, definitely worth getting. All right. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.